Section fifty three of For the Term of His Natural Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. For the Term of His Natural Life by Marcus Clark. Book three, Port Arthur, eighteen thirty eight. Chapter twenty four. In the Night. John Rex had put into execution the first part of his scheme. At the moment when seeing Burgess's boat near the sand-pit, he had uttered the warning cry heard by Vetch. He had turned back into the darkness and made for the water's edge at a point some distance from the neck. His desperate hope was that, the attention of the guard being concentrated on the escaping boat, he might, favoured by the darkness and the confusion, swim to the peninsula. It was not a very marvellous feat to accomplish, and he had confidence in his own powers. Once safe on the peninsula, his plans were formed but owing to the strong westerly wind which caused an incoming tide upon the isthmus it was necessary for him to attain some point sufficiently far to the southward to enable him on taking the water to be assisted not impeded by the current with this view he hurried over the sandy hummocks at the entrance to the neck and ran backwards towards the sea in a few strides he had gained the hard and sandy shore and pausing to listen heard behind him the sound of footsteps he was pursued the footsteps stopped, and then a voice cried, Surrender! It was McNab, who, seeing Rex's retreat, had daringly followed him. John Rex drew from his breast Troke's pistol and waited. Surrender! cried the voice again, and the footsteps advanced two paces. At the instant that Rex raised the weapon to fire, a vivid flash of lightning showed him on his right hand on the ghastly and pallid ocean. Two boats, the hindermost one apparently within a few yards of him, the men looked like corpses. In the distance rose Cape Seville, and beneath Cape Seville was the hungry sea. The scene vanished in an instant, swallowed up almost before he had realised it. But the shock it gave him made him miss his aim, and flinging away the pistol with a curse, he turned down the path and fled. McNab followed. The path had been made by frequent passage from the station, and Rex found it tolerably easy running. He had acquired, like most men who live much in the dark, that cat-like perception of obstacles which is due rather to increased sensitiveness of touch than increased acuteness of vision. His feet accommodated themselves to the inequalities of the ground. His hands instinctively outstretched themselves towards the overhanging boughs. His head ducked off its own accord to any obtrusive sapling which bent to obstruct his progress. His pursuer was not so fortunate. Twice did John Rex laugh mentally at a crash and scramble that told of a fall, and once in a valley where trickled a little stream that he had cleared almost without an effort, he heard a splash that made him laugh outright. The track now began to go uphill, and Rex redoubled his efforts, trusting to his superior muscular energy to shake off his pursuer. He breasted the rise and paused to listen. The crashing of branches behind him had ceased, and it seemed that he was alone. He had gained the summit of the cliff. The lights of the neck were invisible. Below him lay the sea. Out of the black emptiness came puffs of sharp salt wind. The tops of the rollers that broke below were blown off and whirled away into the night. White patches swallowed up immediately in the increasing darkness. From the north side of the bay was borne the hoarse roar of the breakers as they dashed against the perpendicular cliffs which guarded Forestius Peninsula. At his feet arose the frightful shrieking and whistling, broken at intervals by reports like claps of thunder. Where was he? Exhausted and breathless, he sank down into the rough scrub and listened. 
All at once, on the track over which he had passed, he heard a sound that made him bound to his feet in deadly fear. The bay of a dog. He thrust his hand to his breast for the remaining pistol, and uttered a cry of alarm. He had dropped it. He felt round about him in the darkness for some stick or stone that might serve as a weapon. In vain, his fingers clutched nothing but prickly scrub and coarse grass. The sweat ran down his face. With staring eyeballs and bristling hair, he stared into the darkness, as if he would dissipate it by the very intensity of his gaze. The noise was repeated, and piercing through the roar of wind and water, above and below him, seemed to be close at hand. He heard a man's voice cheering the dog in accents that the gale blew away from him before he could recognise them. It was probable that some of the soldiers had been sent to the assistance of McNab. Capture, then, was certain. In his agony the wretched man almost promised himself repentance, should he escape this peril. The dog, crashing through the underwood, gave one short, sharp howl, and then ran mute. The darkness had increased the gale. The wind, ravaging the hollow heaven, had spread between the lightnings and the sea an impenetrable curtain of black cloud. It seemed possible to seize upon this curtain and draw its edge yet closer, so dense was it. The white raging waters were blotted out, and even the lightning seemed unable to penetrate that intense blackness. A large warm drop of rain fell upon Rex's outstretched hand, and far overhead rumbled a wrathful peal of thunder. The shrieking which he had heard a few moments ago had ceased, but every now and then dull but immense shocks, as of some mighty bird flapping the cliff with monstrous wings, reverberated around him, and shook the ground where he stood. He looked towards the ocean, and a tall misty form, white against the all-pervading blackness, beckoned and bowed to him. He saw it distinctly for an instant, and then, with an awful shriek, as of wrathful despair, it sank and vanished. Maddened with a terror he could not define, the hunted man turned to meet the material peril that was so close at hand. With a ferocious gasp the dog flung himself upon him. John Rex was borne backwards, but, in his desperation, he clutched the beast by the throat and belly, and exerting all his strength flung him off. The brute uttered one howl, and seemed to lie where he had fallen, while above his carcass again hovered that white and vaporous column. It was strange that MacNab and the soldiers did not follow up the advantage they had gained. Courage, perhaps, he should defeat them yet. He had been lucky to dispose of the dog so easily. With a fierce thrill of renewed hope, he ran forward, when, at his feet, in his face, arose that misty form, breathing chill warning, as though to wave him back. The terror at his heels drove him on. A few steps more, and he should gain the summit of the cliff. He could feel the sea roaring in front of him in the gloom. The column disappeared and in a lull of wind, uprose from the place where it had been such a hideous medley of shrieks, laughter, and exultant wrath, that John Rex paused in horror. Too late, the ground gave away, it seemed, beneath his feet. He was falling, clutching in vain, at rocks, shrubs, and grass. The cloud curtain lifted, and by the lightning that leaped and played about the ocean, John Rex found an explanation of his terrors, more terrible than they themselves had been. The track he had followed led to that portion of the cliff in which the sea had excavated the tunnel spout, known as the Devil's Blowhole. Clinging to a tree that, growing halfway down the precipice, had arrested his course, he stared into the abyss. Before him, already high above his head, was a gigantic arch of cliff. Through this arch he saw, at an immense distance below him, the raging and pallid ocean. 
Beneath him was an abyss splintered with black rocks, turbid and raucous with tortured water. Suddenly the bottom of this abyss seemed to advance to meet him, or rather, the black throat of the chasm belched a volume of leaping, curling water, which mounted to drown him. Was it fancy that showed him, on the surface of this rising column, the mangled carcass of the dog? The chasm into which John Rex had fallen was shaped like a huge funnel set up on its narrow end. The sides of the funnel were rugged rock, and in the banks of earth lodged here and there upon projections a scrubby vegetation grew. The scanty growth paused abruptly halfway down the gulf, and the rock below was perpetually damp from the upthrown spray. Accident! Had the convict been a meekin? We might term it providence. Had lodged him on the lowest of these banks of earth, in calm weather he would have been out of danger. But the lightning flash revealed to his terror-sharpened sense a black patch of dripping rock on the side of the chasm, some ten feet above his head. It was evident that upon the next rising of the water-spout the place where he stood would be covered with water. The roaring column mounted with hideous swiftness. Rex felt it rush at him and swing him upward. With both arms round the tree he clutched the sleeves of his jacket with either hand. Perhaps if he could maintain his hold he might outlive the shock of that suffocating torrent. He felt his feet rudely seized as though by the hand of a giant and plucked upwards. Water gurgled in his ears. His arms seemed about to be torn from their sockets. Had the strain lasted another instant, he must have loosed his hold. But with a wild hoarse shriek, as though it were some sea monster baffled off its prey, the column sank, and left him gasping, bleeding, half-drowned, but alive. It was impossible that he could survive another shock, and in his agony he unclasped his stiffened fingers, determined to resign himself to his fate. At that instant, however, he saw on the wall of rock that hollowed on his right hand a red and lurid light, in the midst of which fantastically bobbed hither and thither the gigantic shadow of a man. He cast his eyes upwards and saw, slowly descending into the gulf, a blazing bush tied to a rope. McNabb was taking advantage of the pause in the spouting to examine the sides of the blowhole. A despairing hope seized John Rex. In another instant the light would reveal his figure, clinging like a limpet to the rock to those above. He must be detected in any case, but if they could lower the rope sufficiently, he might clutch it and be saved. His dread of the horrible death that was beneath him overcame his resolution to avoid recapture. The long-drawn agony of the retreating water as it was sucked back again into the throat of the chasm had ceased and he knew that the next tremendous pulsation of the sea below would hurl the spuming destruction up upon him. The gigantic torch slowly descended, and he had already drawn in his breath for a shout, which should make itself heard above the roar of the wind and water, when a strange appearance on the face of the cliff made him pause. About six feet from him, glowing like a molten gold in the gusty glow of the burning tree, a round sleek stream of water slipped from the rock into the darkness, like a serpent from its hole. Above this stream a dark spot defied the torchlight, and John Rex felt his heart leap with one last desperate hope as he comprehended that close to him was one of those torturous drives which the worn-like action of the sea bores in such caverns as that in which he had found himself. The drive opened first to the light of the day by the natural convulsion which had raised the mountain itself above ocean level, probably extended into the bowels of the cliff. The stream ceased to let itself out of the crevice. It was then likely that the rising column of water did not penetrate far into this wonderful hiding-place. 
endowed with a wisdom which in one placed in less desperate position would have been madness. John Rex shouted to his pursuers, "'The rope! The rope!' The words, projected against the sides of the enormous funnel, were pitched high above the blast, and reduplicated by a thousand echoes, reached the ears of those above. "'He's alive!' cried McNab, peering into the abyss. "'I see him! Look!' The soldier whipped the end of the bullock-hide lariat round the tree to which he held, and began to oscillate it, so that the blazing bush might reach the ledge on which the daring convict sustained himself. The groan which preceded the fierce belching forth of the torrent was cast up to them from below. "'God be good to the poor fellow!' said the pious young Scotchman, catching his breath. A white spume was visible at the bottom of the gulf, and the groan changed into a rapidly increasing bellow. John Rex, eyeing the blazing pendulum, that with longer and longer swing momentarily neared him, looked up to the black heaven for the last time with a muttered prayer. The bush, the flame fanned by the motion, flung a crimson glow upon his frowning features, which, as he caught the rope, had a sneer of triumph on them. "'Slack out! Slack out!' he cried and then, drawing the burning bush towards him, attempted to stamp out the fire with his feet. The soldier set his body against the tree-trunk, and gripped the rope hard, turning his head away from the fiery pit below him. "'Hold tight, Your Honour,' he muttered to McNab. "'She's coming!' The bellow changed into a roar, and the roar into a shriek, and with a gust of wind and spray the seething sea leapt out of the gulf. John Rex, unable to extinguish the flame, twisted his arm about the rope, and the instant before the surface of the rising water made a momentary floor to the mouth of the cavern, he spurned the cliff desperately with his feet, and flung himself across a chasm. He had already clutched the rock and thrust himself forward, when the tremendous volume of water struck him. McNab and the soldier felt the sudden pluck of the rope, and saw the light swing across the abyss. Then the fury of the water-spout burst with a triumphant scream. The tension ceased. The light was blotted out and when the column sank, there dangled at the end of the lariat nothing but the drenched and blackened skeleton of the she-oak bough. Amid a terrific peal of thunder, the long pent-up rain descended, and a sudden ghastly rending asunder of the cloud showed far below them, the heaving ocean, high above them the jagged and glistening rocks, and, at their feet, the black and murderous abyss of the blowhole, empty. They pulled up the useless rope in silence, and another dead tree lighted and lowered showed them nothing. "'God rest his poor soul,' said McNab, shuddering. "'He's out of our hands now.'" End of section 53